Well, Melissa, it's a new season of Parenthood. And you know what that <laughs> means. Season two, episode one, I hear you, I see you. Everything's different now. Everything's different. It was written by Jason Kadams, directed by Lawrence Trilling, aired on September 14th, 2010. Here's the synop. Adam is overwhelmed <laughs> by family needs and increasing demands at work from boss Gordon Flint. Zeke is overly confident in his fix-it skills as he tries to repair a leak in the barn, and Joel is enlisted by the family to help. Elsewhere, Sarah tries to find her place in the world as Crosby prepares for a visit from Jasmine and Jabbar. Meanwhile, Christina tries to teach Hattie how to drive and, along with behavioral aide Gabby, help their son Max through a crisis. The big headline here for me is Tyree Brown is finally in the credits! Yay! <laughs> I'm so happy that he's in the credits where he belongs. He does belong there. It is nice. I remember distinctly that when I first watched the show and we were in season two, I breathed a sigh of relief because, you know, Jasmine and Jabbar were living in New York and I was afraid they might both be recurring and to have them both be in the credits made me feel just a lot better. Um, I, I was like, oh, good. They're not going to have them leave. That was a concern I had. I think I didn't feel totally comfortable that Tyree Brown was part of the show until he was really in those credits. So, And, you know, I hadn't even noticed or remembered until you pointed <laughs> it out to me. But then I really cared because it didn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into the episode, there were just a small number of things I want to comment on about a new season. First of all, being yeah. I like Crosby and Zeke's haircuts. Yeah, I do too. It's softer, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, it is softer. <laughs> I'm not wild about Sarah's. It looks a little Wednesday Adams to me. I, I think oh, I like it with yeah. the more body. Although there are scenes throughout the episode where it looks better than I think when we first see her and it's like outside and I think maybe the lighting is super bright. And so her hair just looks really flat and dark. And I think that's why I had the Wednesday Adams feeling. But later on, it, it does look better. It just kind of reminded me of, of Lorelai because she had those two wildly different hairstyles. I feel like she either had very, very flat ironed hair or she had kind of the more wavy hair. And I had remembered Sarah always having the wavy hair. I'd forgotten that sometimes she had the super straight hair. Maybe I had just forgotten it. Yeah. And it yeah. just caught me off guard. I also thought that this episode felt a little bit like the pilot episode, especially yeah. right at the beginning where it seemed like everyone was just coming to Adam with crises, whether in mm. person or on the phone between yeah, Crosby true. dropping in and Camille calling and griping about Zeke and then him running into Sarah, and it was just a lot of, let's pile on Adam. It's like, oh, this feels familiar. That's probably a job of any season premiere, right? Like, especially back in the day when it was like network television, and they're trying to get as many new viewers as possible. 
Like now in the age of streaming, nobody just randomly starts a TV show in season two, I bet. Like you would just always start from the beginning. But I, I do think I do think people were trying to like get new viewers all the time. And so I wonder if that was what happened there. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, the episode begins with a leak in the ceiling of the guest house. And the book that is being dripped on is What Color Is Your Parachute? <laughs> and maybe this is something people knew about. I had no idea. But What Color Is Your Parachute? is a self-help book by Richard Nelson Bowles intended for job seekers. And it's been in print since 1970, and it's revised annually. I thought that was a nice little clue that Sarah still isn't happy with her job status, in case anyone <laughs> thought otherwise. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed that. I Did you know what that book was? Yes. I've never read it's it or anything. Me. No, no. Well, and hearing you give the description, I don't think I knew as, like, in depth as what it was until you said that. But I knew it was some sort of self-help, and I thought it was work-related. And I did think, that seems right for Sarah. Like, she's just always trying to grow and I did like that she was still trying to get a job and and you know it just it felt like a continuation you know I, I like that new seasons are a new start but I like for them to feel connected I, I I do find it jarring sometimes when shows do like wild makeovers not just a haircut here or there because those are nice those make me think of friends and Phoebe suddenly cutting everyone's hair and Dudley Moore and Demi Moore oh she's got gorgeous hair <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, sometimes they'll just recast someone for a new season. I'm not over <laughs> Lois and Clark, you know, recasting Jimmy Olsen in yeah. season two. Like, what the hell? Or they'll just like suddenly someone has a new job, you know, no explanation or characters will be written out. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the grandmother and the aunt on Step by Step. They just disappeared season two. These are weird examples, but Parenthood still feels like the same show to me. It just feels like maybe they're taking a little time to like refamiliarize us with the cast. And so it, it felt like the same people, thankfully. Yeah. Although perhaps we should mention that, you know, a network show, they like the episodes to be happening around the same time that they're airing. But then mm. what do you do with a summer hiatus? You either have yeah. to jump time along with the air dates of your episode, or you have to continue the action right when the season finale left off and then make up for that time somewhere else. And they have chosen the former route. They It's the end of summer now. And so we yeah. haven't seen these characters for three months. I almost always like that better for that very reason. It just feels more natural that they don't have to like totally copy everybody's outfit and hairstyling. And yeah, it's just kind of nice to let people evolve, even if it's over, even if it's just a tiny little three month evolution, you know, and then they're no longer obsessed with Steve. We could just move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Things like that. Leaks in your ceiling are no joke. I just want to toss this in. That is the majority of the reason why I moved out of my first New York apartment. Oh, wow. There was a leak in the ceiling, both in the living room and eventually in the kitchen. The one in the Ugh. living room was way more frequent and it would fill up a light fixture. Ugh. So there would be like light bulbs in standing water. I'm like, this has to be a safety hazard, right? Electrical wiring sitting in water. Yeah. And judging from the color, I'm pretty sure it was wastewater. Ew. And 
And I'm like, well, that's a health hazard. And I would tell the super about it over and over and over and over. And he would come in and paint over the leak. I'm like, but clearly there's something above the ceiling that is then leaking onto the ceiling. So painting the ceiling is not fixing anything except that for a few days, it won't look like there's a big dirty vagina in my ceiling. (laughs) Cause it was this long, it would make this long slit in the, Oh, I get it. And the kitchen ceiling eventually fell through. I came home one night and it was, half of it was on the floor and that they actually fixed. I'm like, guys, the same thing is going to happen eventually in the living room. And they just wouldn't do And I called the building manager. I called city. Like I was looking up renters rights and things, and I, I just could never get anyone to care about it. And so at the end of the year, I was like, you know what? I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. Good for you. I wonder. Which was a shame. Cause other than that, I really liked that apartment. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty big other than that. And I wonder if I would have been more forceful now because I was a, uh, I was all of twenty one years old then. Yeah. And so just a baby yeah, in New York. But I never. I don't know if I really raised a ruckus. Yeah. If I was a huge asshole about it, and now I'm, I might have been a little more comfortable being that. Anyway, I also noticed they joke about Sarah. Adam jokes about Sarah being bad at repairs, but in season one she knew how to fix her car. Yeah. Sort of. At first, I didn't think he was kidding. And then she was like, her reaction made me realize, yeah. oh, he must be kidding. But is he good at fixing stuff? I mean, I didn't really understand why Camille called him. He just dropped by and was like, I can't help. And then he went to work. And I'm like, what a big detour. Just <laughs> That's to, a good point. You know, like, you should have just gone to work. It was probably just so he could stop by and get Sarah's pitch about the, you know... <laughs> The, the shoe clicker idea and then go to work. But it did feel like kind of flimsy that he never even attempted to help. He just came by, didn't even talk to his mom and was like, all right, I'm here, but I can't. Bye. That's true. Maybe she just thinks he's like the Zeke whisperer. Like Zeke yeah. won't stop when she asks him to, but he will if Adam does. And he, he will now because he hears her. He sees and he her. Sees her. Yeah. Well, Adam does offer one little bit of advice, which is, why don't you ask Joel? Yeah. Joel's a professional. And that's a good idea. And, you know, Joel continues his streak in season two for <laughs> me of being so much funnier than I ever gave him credit for. For instance, when he and Zeke start working on the roof. No, you're not doing anything. Uh, Sydney's back in school. Yeah, just popping those bonbons. It's so great. That's brilliant. It is. Well, and he's, yeah, so self-deprecating. I think it really is his delivery. I I wonder, there might be listeners out there who are watching the show for the first time and they're like, nope, I got it. Joel's great. Like from the very first watch. But I think for me, yeah, it was just he got drowned out in a sea of big Braverman voices. And Yeah. I mean, I feel so bad for him with Zeke in this episode. But speaking of taking Joel for granted. I had a real reaction to seeing Joel on that ladder (laughs) in the, in the guest house. Yeah. I don't, that, that really buttered my biscuit. (laughs) I'm not sure we've acknowledged how handsome Sam Jager is. He's, he's really handsome. He is handsome. My husband was walking through the room once and he was like, that's a handsome man. Right. And I was like, he is. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think also part of it might have been him just like wielding his expertise, <laughs> you know, fixing this, fixing that. And then you combine it with the sense of humor, like when Sarah finds him. And uh, I thought I'd come in here before we fix it tomorrow. Then what are you going to tell him? I'll just be like, wow, that seemed a lot worse yesterday, <laughs> but now here we are. Don't worry, I got a whole plan. It's going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> I just... He's incredible. Yeah. And then right after that... I wonder if I could ask you to build me something. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if you would build me a desk. I'd love to. Really? What kind of, what kind of desk are we talking? What are you going to use it for? You know, I had this idea the other day. Um, it, it was for a shoe for Adam's company. Uh, if a kid lost their shoe, you'd click something and the shoe would beep and then they could find it. I love that idea. Really? Yeah. I'd buy a dozen of those for Sydney. <sighs> so, Yeah. I just started thinking, you know, if I had a space to have more ideas, maybe I'd have more ideas. Yeah, I get you. He's so sweet, too. And we always like new combinations of characters. And I'm not sure we've really seen Joel with anybody but Julia up to now. I mean, he's been in big group scenes sometimes. Yeah. But that he has so much one-on-one time with Zeke in this episode. And then this little scene with Sarah. It was like, this is nice to see. And I got to say, maybe it was my uh, me getting the vapors from that latter scene <laughs> or, or him being nice about Sarah's request. I weirdly started imagining a storyline where Sarah and Joel had an affair. <laughs> well, and like, wouldn't that be wild? That would be wild. But then a tamer imagining that I had was what would Sarah's life have been like if she had a Joel? Mm. Someone just really supportive, really reliable, always on her side, always rooting for her. And I hate to be like Camille, like, oh, if only you had married Jim instead of that musician. Because, you know, people are drawn to different things. Like you said once, you know, you're attracted to stability and security. And I think Julia clearly found those qualities attractive. And Sarah probably was attracted to adventure and spontaneity and surprise and You know, that's fun, but it also has some drawbacks. Like, oh, surprise, he's a drug addict. (laughs) Yeah. No, totally. You know, my reaction to Joel in this episode was that lots of people, like we've had several guests come on and say that they think like Adam is the perfect man. And I'm like, maybe it's Joel, though, because as, as great as Adam is, there are like little things I don't care for, you know, like like all the Hattie stuff and being like a little weird and protective. Like, but, you know, some people say that, no, that's just that's just sweet. And in any case, Joel seems even like comfortable in a way that even Adam doesn't, you know, like his wife is the one who's working and he's not just a stay at home dad. He's like incredible, you know, and it, he is so funny. And um, I'm like, yeah. Maybe everyone who comes on here should call Joel the perfect man, you know? Maybe, yeah. Maybe we need to have more conversations about that. So that, that was really what I was thinking. Um, although that scene with Sarah was my favorite. It did not make me think anything like, what if this, what if that? Maybe it should have, because those are fun. No, because I think you're just normal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I just thought, I guess my reaction was, Wow, that is a huge request. Would you build me a desk? 
I think this is a free thing. Like I, she wasn't like, could I pay you to build me a desk? And he just immediately said yes. And not like, I guess so, but I would love to, you know, just the idea that he can, he understands that whatever this is that she's requesting, it's about more than just a desk. It's about like validation. It's about feeling important, you know, like taking herself feeling seen, seen and heard. Yes. Perhaps the episode's theme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think you're so right. I, I had like the embryonic version of that idea, but I hadn't quite birthed it. I hadn't carried it to term. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, that you're, I, you're so right that Sarah in this episode is feeling like she has to start valuing her own ideas and just her own worth. And Joel is feeling that too, that that's something that does, you know, he's kind of like Camille in the last episode. He loves being a father and he loves being a husband but maybe when you're like the caretaker of the home, it is so easy to get swallowed up by that. Yeah. And now he's with this person in a situation where they're they're doing what Joel knows how to do. And his he's not being valued. Yeah. And so to have someone say, I know what you can do. And would you make me a desk with it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. If it means that you see me then yeah, I'd love to. It's really a beautiful idea. Yeah, it was maybe, weirdly, one of my favorite scenes on the whole show so far. And it was so quiet. Yeah, like, I don't know. It just, it made me tear up. And I just really loved both of them in it. And, And I felt like they really got each other in that moment, which is just a beautiful thing in real life or in media, you know, when, when you, when you actually get this sense of connection and it's not about something romantic, it is about something, I don't know, almost more primal than that. Yeah. This, this need for, for just being valued. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. His lack of being seen by Zeke leads to this big outburst, which weirdly gets him seen perhaps for the first time in their relationship ever. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Everything you're doing is wrong. Do you understand that? And if there's one thing I can't stand, it's it's doing the job badly. And you are doing this so badly. It's like it's even worse than you treating me like I don't know what I'm doing. When I'm a certified contractor who got paid, believe it or not, a lot of money to do what you have, you have no idea how to do. Is that it? Not remotely. Really? Yes. Well, let me hear the rest of it. I hate that you treat me like I'm my daughter's age. I, I'm a grown-ass man, and if I didn't have a recession where I couldn't afford to pay my team, I'd be up here. All right, all right, Doing this all job right, with several right. other more qualified people than yourself. Got some anger in there, huh? Well... A little spirit. I like that. I don't think I've ever heard you say more than five words since I knew you. Well... No, really. I hear you. And I see you. That's coming from my counseling sessions. Working, huh? It's pretty good. I mean, you could benefit from that. You get some anger issues. I, I got to tell you, I like it. Spunky. <laughs> All right. I've also got to hand it to Craig T. Nelson because I think in anyone else's hands, that reaction to Joel's outburst, I would find condescending. I would hate it. I would be like, oh, that guy. 
And I was utterly charmed. <laughs> Me too. I loved it. I loved it. And I'm like, that is a charming bastard who can pull that off because, <laughs> because I was so mad at him the whole episode. And I was so proud of Joel for standing up to him. And then I'm like, oh, you. Oh, you. <laughs> you know? I just loved it. It was great. And, and, I, and also, yeah, I think I normally would find that really condescending. But I think he actually was trying to compliment Joel. I, I don't think he was yeah. putting him on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it seemed like a, a really constructive use of what he's learning in therapy. And I think he was really kind of right that, you know, if Joel does have a flaw and I'm sure he has myriad flaws as we all do. He's the perfect man. But we just he's, said <laughs> he's a very he's a very functioning, high functioning human. But I do get the sense that he is probably slow to express his anger or maybe just any of his feelings. Yeah. But certainly anger. And I can understand how him finally doing that with Zeke would earn some kind of respect from him or in a weird way, like legitimize him. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know that it's fair that Joel should have to jump through those kinds of hoops in order to be on Zeke's good side. But I can definitely see why someone would be like, Oh, Joel, he's all right. He's kind of a limp noodle. And then see another side of him and go, oh, I never gave him enough credit. Yeah. yeah. He's actually a good guy. One thing that caught my ear in his little speech was that he mentions that he made a lot of money as a contractor. Yeah. And that never occurred to me. But I looked it up. And according to salaryexpert.com, <laughs> the average salary for a general contractor in, I, I did San Francisco. It was easier to find. So it. This might not be exactly the same, but San Francisco, Berkeley, Bay Area, whatever. The average salary for a general contractor in San Francisco is $143,674. So while Julia is probably still out earning him, he probably helped pay for that house yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Or, you know, who knows? Maybe he even built it. Oh, man. That's cool. But it's not like he was just riding on her financial coattails. Like, he was contributing a lot, it sounds like. Yeah. So Sydney in this episode is asking questions about the birds and the bees. Did I come from my vagina? Where'd you hear that? Did I? Um, yeah, you did. Um, wow. Did you come out of a vagina, too? Do you want ice cream? The ice cream sounds like that such sounds a super great good, idea. doesn't it? That's a great idea. Okay. Well, I don't. This is. I did. I did as well. How about and, you? Um, but I don't think we're gonna have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I came from a vagina. Wow. Our whole family came from vaginas. Kaylin, our whole family came from vaginas. She's so smart. <laughs> I loved Sydney's persistence. Yeah. Refusing not to get an answer. She'd make a good lawyer, I think. <laughs> um, my main thought on that storyline was surprise at how uncomfortable it made Joel and Julia. Like, again, maybe we should ask a parent how they would feel if their kids started asking those kinds of questions. And it certainly made for entertaining television. But I just kept thinking, well, if you just explain the science part of it, like, 
I don't know. Like, I I thought, like, saying, you know, later, like, well, yes, it's the dad's job. He has the fertilizer. And, you know, and and even if you said, well, through sexual intercourse, um, you know, like, and I guess she could keep going and say, what's that? And I mean, I I guess I, I understand why people would be uncomfortable, but I just thought, is it that uncomfortable? Maybe. I, I don't know. I just, I was very surprised at how nervous it made them and how they kept wanting to change the subject to ice cream. Yeah. Did you get a talk and do you remember when it was and what it was or? I don't really remember. I, I do remember that fourth grade was when we got the school talk and we knew that going into fourth grade. And sometimes my friends and I on the playground would just be like counting down to February because that is when the sex talk <laughs> happened. And we were just so excited for it. I think we were just really curious like Sydney, but Sydney's quite a bit younger, right? Like first grade, maybe second grade. So um, yeah, I totally get where Sydney's coming from. She's on to something. She wants to answer. She wants to know. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. What about you? Did you have a like a talk like that? I did. I brought it up, though. I was in first grade. And this is weird. I was on the toilet <laughs> one morning with like an upset stomach. And I was late for school because of it. I was just not feeling very good. And my dad was waiting with me. And I I did not ask him where babies come from. I asked him what's sex because I had heard the word sex on TV and in movies and stuff. And he just flat out answered me (laughs) He in like so many words. He's like, well, a man, you know, we have a penis. A man puts it into a woman's vagina and that's called sex. And then I, I think I probably had a lot of questions because I do remember him. Like, I feel like he said it feels really good which is why I, it must have, he must have known I was asking because I had seen it referred to in things where people would say like, how's the sex? And it was clearly something they wanted. And so I was like, why, why? He said, well, it feels really good. And I'm pretty sure he mentioned that it was for grownups, you Uh know, that it wasn't something I could do. And he must have mentioned anyway, because I look back on this and he was so frank about it, which seems sort of shocking, but I think it was, wonderful because I was sort of signaling that I was ready at least to some extent to know about it because I was asking about it. Yeah. And he answered me and there was no mystique around it. Yes. There was no mystery or like anything exciting about it. When you're that age, it sounded gross to me. I was like, ugh. And I vividly remember thinking, cause I don't think he went into the mechanics of anything I remember thinking, you know, when you're a little boy, your (laughs) pee-pee is for peeing. That's what it's for. And I thought, what happens if you're having sex and you have to pee? (laughs) Would you pee inside the woman? That would be embarrassing and gross. To say the least. To say the least. And it's like, okay. I learned later that's that doesn't doesn't happen. Um, But I learned through that where babies come from. Mm -hmm. It was not my primary objective, but I learned. And he said, and that's how babies are made. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I think it was good in retrospect to learn about it before I was really interested in it. Yeah. I suppose the biggest concern would just be, how do you make sure that a child then isn't bringing it up in situations where it's really not appropriate to be talking about that? Yeah. And I don't know how he did that. You know, how did I not then go to school that day and tell everyone, hey, you know what sex is? <laughs> That's not appropriate for first graders. 
but I don't think I did. So maybe he said something or uh, who knows? Yeah, I guess I'm just uh, surprised because that seems like such a, to me, obvious, that's what you do. And, and, you know, how interested would kids be really in the technical names of things, you know, penis, vagina, and, and maybe they're very interested. But I just, I thought this feels more complicated than maybe it would really be. But then, I don't know, I guess I made peace with it because the whole storyline really seemed in the last five minutes to be building up towards this kind of sharp left turn of are Julia and Joel going to have more kids? And I thought, oh, that's a really interesting way to get there. It was this like light, funny storyline, the whole episode. And I really didn't remember from previous viewings that it went anywhere deep. You know, I just thought it was another one of those kind of random funny scenes. And so that's, that was the, like, that was the scene that I found so fascinating was Julia and Joel's completely different um, reaction to whether or not they were going to have another kid. I'm the mom. She's a girl. You have to let me make this decision on this one. Yeah. Yeah. And if we had a boy, you'd let me handle it. What? When you said, if we had a boy, I pictured us having a boy. Oh. And I want her to have a brother uh, or a sister. Okay. We can't wait forever on this, you know? Oh. We always said you could build a bedroom above the garage, yeah, so that's, that on. is Let's perfect. Just hold on a second. When are you? When? The... Yes. That is key. That is absolutely key. <sighs> I can't believe we're having this conversation. Neither can I. So earlier I had made a comment like that Joel is really good for Julia. But this episode made me wonder how good Julia is for Joel. Um, Mm. And it was because of that scene. You know, for an episode called I Hear You and I See You, it's not a coincidence that she does not hear or see him in that moment. She does not notice that he is not where she is. And I don't know why that is, you know, just based on this episode. But his reaction is taken aback. She's just so excited she can't see where where he's coming from. But, you know, he just says, oh, okay. When (laughs) they're not having a conversation, they're having a one-sided conversation. And I'm fascinated thinking of the reasons why he might not be on board. And I think I've got some ideas, but I thought I would see what you thought first. I'm mostly surprised that they would have any kind of misunderstanding on this subject. Perhaps if she had said, I pictured us having a boy. I know we only ever talked about one kid. Mm. If there was something like that, so that I realized, oh, she is going back on some plan or something. But I thought, wouldn't you guys know how many kids you wanted? I mean, that seems like pretty basic stuff. I was a little confused by that. And also way less significant. When she says you could build a room over the garage, I thought, do you guys only have two bedrooms in that house? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like it. I mean, there's something. I mean, maybe that's how they afford this really extravagant house is that it's actually a very small house. It just looks impressive. But why would they? If Sydney has a room, they have a room. If they have a baby, they got to build another room. <laughs> what? Yeah. What is with this show and these Gigantic houses with no bedrooms. (laughs) It's true. It's so they could have just the world's biggest kitchen, you know, (laughs) like just, um, yeah, no, I, 
that's a really good point about deciding ahead of time how many kids you're going to have. But I guess just hearing Joel talk to Zeke and to some extent Sarah about what he did for a living before he was, you know, popping those bonbons as he joked, I started to get the sense that maybe he was eager to return to work at some point. You know, like he he made it sound like maybe the reason that he isn't working is because of the recession, you know, and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Mm. And I thought maybe Julia's just thinking, how lovely, we'll have another child. You'll take care of it, of course, while I continue to work, you know. And I just wonder if in Joel's mind, he's just thinking, Sydney is how old at this point, six or seven, you know, like he was maybe just waiting for her to get old enough that he could work again. And, and I might be reading too much into this. Maybe there's no like text evidence (laughs) for that, but that, that was how I interpreted his lack of enthusiasm. And maybe at one point they had talked about having more kids, but I mean, I feel like most families I know of who want to have multiple kids they usually have them a little closer together or at least start trying a little bit sooner. It's just, I thought it was really fascinating that they were having this conversation at that point. But now I'm thinking of Adam and Christina. What's the age difference between Hattie and Max? You know, probably the same, you know, so I'm, I'm sure people do it differently all the time. And maybe that's not as set in stone as I would think. Because like, for instance, you and Mark have decided not to have children. But when you got married, that wasn't set in stone, right? Um, I think by the time we got married... We had pretty much made that decision. But, you know, that's a good point. I mean, when we bought a house in in our old town, Pittsburgh, we bought this four-bedroom house. And we thought we were being so smart because we were like, well, if we decide to have children, we're going to grow into it. And that was 10 years ago. That was in 2010 that we bought that house. We got married two years later in 2012. So maybe we were still debating, but basically by the time we moved to Lawrence in 2018, we we knew to buy a smaller place. We were like, we'd made our decision. I think maybe we also didn't trust our decision. You know, like just 10 years has has made us know ourselves more, feel more confident. You know, we knew we were like letting our moms down and stuff. Like we didn't want to do that, but we, so I think maybe we were tentative in, in, that decision. I think there are lots of reasons why people maybe hold off or maybe, maybe Joel and Julia had decided they were for sure going to have one. And then they would talk about another one later, you know? And then if you go long enough, not talking about it, perhaps each of you gets a different idea in your head of what the future will hold. I don't know. It also begs the question, now that we know what a contractor makes, (laughs) why aren't, why aren't they just both working? They would have plenty of income between mm-hmm. the two of them to handle any childcare needs that they would have. And maybe they prefer that a parent is with them. And that's great that they are in a position to do that if that's what they want to do. But it seems like it's not what, certainly not what Joel maybe wants to do. So I don't know. It seems to me like the answer is both work. Hire someone to take care of your kids when you're not around. It's not rocket science. People do that all the time. They do. But I do think that they're, the show is doing a good job of using the recession, you know, like um, with the first season with with Zeke, you know, that investment and everything. And now Joel mentioning that it makes me think, is that perhaps why he mentioned the recession, like to explain that maybe his plan wasn't to be a stay at home dad, but then it just kind of worked out because do we know if he stayed home the entire time? Like or did he, you know, in 2008, you know, a couple years before the show started? Oh, I don't think we do know. Yeah. I just wondered that for the first time. It's also hard to 
it's easy to forget, I should say, how big of an effect the recession had. Yeah. Like I remember one of my sisters bought a house, mostly as an investment, not planning for a family or anything. She was single at the time, but she bought a house in an area that was on the rise and she thought this will be great. The value will go up. It was right before uh, the uh, the huge bubble burst, specifically in housing. Yeah. And it was years. She had left the house. She wasn't living there anymore. She had gotten married. She maybe had even bought with her husband another house before she finally was able to get rid of it. Wow. And... Yeah, it was just, and I mean, that's just one anecdote. It was a big deal. And I, yeah, I can only imagine what it would have done to someone whose livelihood depended on there being a demand for houses being built all the time. Yeah. So now I'm thinking it's 2010, you know, when when this episode was filmed and aired, and perhaps Joel in the back of his mind was thinking, okay, at some point this is going to calm down and it's going to be perfect timing because Sydney will be old enough that it's okay if I'm working. And, you know, and, and then maybe that that idea of a baby just kind of got plopped in there and threw him for a loop. That's my guess. But I, again, I, I honestly don't remember. I don't either. But I think that's a uh, insightful observation. I thank you. Let's move to Crosby's story in this episode. First of all, I think I have an observation to make about parenthood, which is I'm not sure they're great with exposition (laughs) because I found this line. After killing myself all summer flying back and forth to New York, Jasmine and Jabbar are visiting me. To be almost. Thanks, big brother. (laughs) Level exposition. (laughs) After killing myself flying back. And fourth, all summer. Oh, thank you, Crosby. Now we know how you've been making this work. Yeah. You couldn't have just mentioned that in one of your later conversations with Jasmine? It's like his first line in the episode. (laughs) In case you missed it, audience at home. (laughs) That's true. I hadn't even thought of that. But yeah, you're you're totally right. That is a little a little clunky, perhaps. But I, I don't think I noticed it as much. And I think it's because I was distracted by the fact that he didn't live in New York with them. Because I was like, did we misinterpret the season one finale? Yeah. Or is that a retcon? Did they go back and just change it slightly and pretend like that didn't happen? I feel like they were pretty vague mm. in the finale about what exactly was going to happen. Yeah. And maybe they were intentionally vague because they didn't know. Yeah. Or maybe, I guess in that moment, Crosby may not have known. Mm -hmm. But he did say, I want to buy a ticket and go with you to New York. That sure seems like go with you and stay with you. Yeah. Be with you, not go with you and then come back when I've used up all my vacation time. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was also distracted, not distracted. I also noticed two other things in that opening kitchen scene. One is Max using some non-literal expressions. Can I have a play date with him? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm excited too. I know, I'm on fire. Let's I'm celebrate. How about a hug? He's not on fire. That's true. Max probably His head wouldn't. isn't a noodle. Oh, man. You know, like, yeah, you're totally would right. He, would he say, I'm on fire, I'm blazing, I'm burning? Probably not. Maybe they were working on figures of speech that day and he was <laughs> implementing a few. Maybe so. Because the rest of the episode felt very... 
um, right for Max. Yeah, you know? I loved Max in this episode. I did too. Uh, I thought he was really funny. Yeah. And then at the end, really moving and just impressive as a performance. Yes. But before we move on to that, I was going to say, what was the second thing? Because that might be the thing I noticed. Yeah, I'm sure it was. You, oddly beautiful stranger in the kitchen. Is that okay? I don't know. I wrote down, is it rude to call a stranger beautiful? I don't know. It's risky for sure. It's risky. Yeah. I think she's... It seems not... I wouldn't advise it. No, I don't think... For sure. Yeah. Even though I think it, you know, on its face, it is a compliment. Yeah. But that's not what she's there for. Right. I mean, and and on one level, it's also just a fact that Minka Kelly is beautiful. <laughs> but, that's true. But not the point. The, and, and then I thought, he didn't say it in what I would consider to be like a smarmy way. Like, he almost said it like taken by surprise that someone was in the kitchen that he hadn't noticed. And wow, you sure are pretty. But it didn't even, it didn't sound to me like he was trying to hit on her per se. But then I thought... Oh, but it would probably come across that way to me if someone random just called me beautiful. And then there's a whole other issue of he's not single when he says it. Like Mar- no. Mark was watching just part of the episode with me and he was like, he thought that Crosby was for sure hitting on her, just seeing it out of context. And he was later surprised to find out that Crosby was with Jasmine. He was like, oh, I, I figured he was single saying that. Yeah, I will say, I don't think if Jasmine were there, she'd be too happy about it. Would he have said it if Jasmine were there? I hope not. But if that's the case, it does kind of answer the earlier question. Yeah. No, it's not okay. Yeah, because then I'm like, maybe it's better if he would have said it in front of her, because then it would have been clear he wasn't hitting on her. He was just like caught off guard or something. But yeah, the whole thing made me just blink a little. And I don't think it was like terrible. I don't think he said anything offensive. I was just like, wow. If you are in a professional capacity, you know, like, like, you know, she's this behavioral aid for Max, you probably shouldn't comment on her appearance. Although I guess he didn't know who she was, but three guesses, Crosby, who, you know, like, come on. Um, and then I also think, yeah, if, if you are in a committed relationship, you probably shouldn't call other people beautiful. I mean, obviously you're going to think it sometimes or be attracted to people, but I feel like isn't part of being um, in a committed relationship that you don't compliment other people in a way that could be constituted as, you know, flirting? I, I don't know. Yeah, the, the whole scene struck me as just very strange, I guess. Not yeah. not upsetting, just bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I was hung up on just that it was a stranger. And now I'm wondering, maybe you just don't say that to strangers. Because I have thought before, like, maybe it's different with me since I would never be hitting on a woman but I, I still think twice about it, like when I have like a female coworker mm-hmm. and they come to work looking especially beautiful one day. Yeah. And I will hesitate, like, Ugh, can I say something or not? And I, I hope I've always been respectful. But what gives me confidence in that situation is that we have a relationship already. Mm-hmm. It's not someone I'm just meeting out of nowhere it's someone who knows me, knows where I'm coming from and vice versa. And so I can say, oh, you look really nice today. And it's definitely not flirtatious. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's usually when I feel like they've clearly made some effort to look a certain way. And I just want to acknowledge, 
you were successful. (laughs) I think about that a lot with my, um, like my male students when they dress up for like, like the basketball players have to dress up every time there's a game and, and you just have to choose your words so carefully. And I have, I have stumbled on the word sharp. I find sharp to be a very safe word to use where I'm like, look at sharp, you know? Like, it doesn't sound like I'm hitting on them at all. Beautiful is a very charged word, I feel like. Yeah. So I just, yeah, that's all. For whatever it's worth, Gabby didn't seem phased by it. No. Maybe she just gets, maybe she just gets it all the time. She must. She's Minka Kelly. But also, should she have to be used to it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Although, you know, I would love to have that problem. People call me beautiful all the time. I just can't get them to shut up about it. <laughs> yeah, I, it, that, I mean, it is. It's an interesting line, you know, to, to, to cross. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find that balance, I think, of what's what's acceptable to tell people and what isn't. And maybe Crosby is charming enough that he hasn't had to think about that too much, you know, because I bet not very many people are upset when he compliments them. He inherited that Zeke charm. I think that he says it in a very similar way that Zeke would. Yeah. And I think Zeke gets away with it. he thinks it just masks his uh, inappropriate behavior. Later in the episode, I started wondering if he was kind of flirting with her and not in a serious way, but in a like, in his head, getting back at Jasmine for like not taking him seriously enough. Like just throwing the feeler out there to see if he still got it or something because he's maybe feeling When? What do you what now? Like when did you think he was doing that? Well, no, I like retroactively thought that about that opening scene when he called her beautiful. Oh. Because okay. he's been feeling, I think, unappreciated for a while. He even comes into that episode or in that scene in the kitchen feeling that way because, you know, as you said, his exposition-y line of, I, you know, I've been flying back and forth all summer. They're finally coming to see me. But like that must mean somewhere inside of him, he has this gnawing feeling that he's more invested than she is. I wonder if like calling someone beautiful, you don't really, you're not trying anything. You're not actually hitting on someone, but maybe in your head, it's like, how will someone react if I say this? Oh, they look pleased. See, I'm a catch. Why doesn't Jasmine see that? Like in that way. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, yeah. You know, I hadn't even quite made that connection, but he basically comes right out and says it. I really can't even think about all this right now. What do you mean you can't think about it right now? Well, I'm a little busy. I've got Jabbar. I've got rehearsals. Mm-hmm. You're pissed. You're pissed. No, I'm not. No. It's okay if you are. Say what's on your mind. I love Jabbar, and and I love you, and I miss you guys, and I feel like I'm the only one that's putting any effort into this relationship. I've been flying back and forth every other week, and now that you're finally coming, you can't even talk about it? I want to be with you, too. I miss you. Yeah, you sure? I do. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're you're right. And I noticed uh, several things about that scene, but not what you noticed, which I think is probably the thrust of it. But, um, well, the first thing I noticed was it looks like Apple's sponsorship of Parenthood <laughs> yeah. has begun. Yeah, when Gordon taps his head with the... <laughs> the iPad, and then yeah. Crosby is on an iBook. And... Yeah. Look, anyway, Skype, I... the magic of Apple. <laughs> yeah. But I, in that scene, I loved... Because the... 
this episode does seem to be about communication, mm-hmm. about characters trying to communicate well. And I loved how she was encouraging him. You know, you're pissed. It's all right if you are. Tell me what's on your mind. Yeah. Like, that is great. And then Crosby responds with a, a statement of what he's honestly feeling that's like, you never hear Zeke talk like that. No. Because he clearly means what he says, but he's not emotional about it. I mean, it's not coming out in an outburst. Yeah. That felt really healthy to me. And I liked that she seemed to know how to elicit that from him. And I thought they're they're off on a good foot at least. And then I also wondered, have we ever heard him say I love you to her before? Huh, I don't think so. I don't think we have either. I mean, he said you're my family. Yeah. Which is basically as good as saying it, I would think. But I loved that he said it and I loved that it it felt so comfortable for him. Yeah. I mean, I love you, Jabbar and I love you. It was like, that's a given. Maybe that's part of having that three-month time jump, you know, starting the new season yeah. a few months later, because certainly he would have said it at some point over that time. Right. And, you know, I sort of love in TV shows, movies, books, when you almost skip over big moments. I'm, I'm currently teaching um, The Namesake, which is one of my favorite books. And the author, Jhumpa Lahiri, has this really interesting tactic of skipping over some really major moments, you know, like it'll skip ahead a few months and a couple has broken up and it will kind of flash back and say what happened, but you don't actually see the breakup. You, it's like you, you mostly get really quiet moments that are like little insights into how, you know, characters are and, and their relationships with each other. But sometimes it does so by skipping the moments that you would think would be the really huge ones that you'd want to like focus in on. I sort of love that. And if we missed Crosby's first I love you to Jasmine, I don't think I mind that so much because I think I really like picking up in this very comfortable, healthy place. Yeah, I kind of liked it too. It felt like a subtle clue that time had passed and things were progressing as we thought they would when we last saw them. Yeah. And you know, this is a this is an issue of course, them living in different places and and him feeling like he's putting in more work than she is. But I I really like how organic and real that feels as a conflict. I mean, that would be exactly, I think, what it would be like to have such a long distance relationship, especially Crosby's life is largely unchanged and hers is. So it makes sense that she would feel swamped and overwhelmed and not able to go flying back all the time when she's trying to establish a new life. Meanwhile, his life is, yeah, he's able to adapt, I think, more easily than she is. And I think it totally makes sense that he would interpret that as he cares more and that she would be like, no, that's not the case. It's just (laughs) I'm really exhausted and overwhelmed. It's funny. She, you know, she mentions very offhandedly that she's auditioning for a tour in Europe, I believe. Yeah. And now because we were talking about Joel and his attitude towards returning to work, It's interesting to contrast that with Jasmine, who is working, is doing what she wants to be doing with a child and just how complicated it is. I think I especially identify with it because of the nature of the job, Mm. jobs that require some travel and require some extended time in other places. That is something I'm certainly familiar with and it's complicated and I don't have anyone relying on me to have to do it with a child and a new relationship, that would be so tough. And yet 
I would hate on one level to think, well, the answer is just stop doing what you would love to be doing. Yeah. That doesn't feel right. I, I love that she wants to do that. And, you know, like as our guest Blair said, it was important. It's important for her that her children see that she does something she loves to do. It's just where does the line get drawn? Yeah. Do you have to do what you love in Europe? Yeah, you just moved to New York. Maybe that's should be yeah. enough for a while. But then I'm like, who am I to say? I'm no one's offering me to go to Europe to dance. <laughs> right. yeah. And like Christina's predicament in her episode where she went back to work. Yeah. Where she felt you know, she seen. Says, she says there will be other. Yeah. She says there'll be other campaigns. And we were like, will there? Yeah. And with Jasmine, it's like, who knows when you might get to audition for something like this again? And who knows if you'll get it then? Because there's a time limit on when you can do this stuff. Yeah. Physically and emotionally where you are in your life and relationships. And yeah, it just it, it would be really tough to figure that all out. I also wondered, did they really spend all summer never doing anything kinky online? <laughs> that's And maybe that's not fair. And he he did say he was flying back and forth. Oh yeah. Every other week. So maybe it was just often enough. Yeah. That they never <laughs> really felt too deprived. But I was like, this never occurred to either of them? <laughs> that's true. I didn't even think of that. Well, let's move on to we get this new character in this episode played by is it William? It's Baldwin? it's William. It's Billy Baldwin. Billy Baldwin. And no offense to Billy Baldwin, but I'm not a fan. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> of him or of Gordon or both? Uh, of Gordon. Okay. I should say I don't think I've seen him in anything else. I can't remember if I ever have. I always thought he was the cutest Baldwin. So there you go, Billy Baldwin. I think... The cutest of the Baldwins. The character is just so... Yeah, he's not good. Point is, I know I've missed a lot of work lately, you know, my situation with Max, but summers are always a little crazy, and, you know, school's back next week. Adam, we're very different. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I've got a condo in Knob Hill. You've got a real home in Berkeley. I have a sailboat in Sausalito. You drive a minivan. I've had a slew of tantalizing relations, and you... You've got Catherine. Uh, Christina, but yeah. So similar to the clunky exposition earlier, I felt like this was really clunky character information. Like there's no better way to point out the dichotomy between these two characters than just having one of them observe it unprovoked. Well, I shall never be king. And you shall never see the light of another day. Honey, you say potato, I say vodka. You're this way and I'm, I'm that way. You're here. I'm there. We're too different to ever be found. I don't think I'm going to actually include that. <laughs> it's <laughs> I fun. Was just think, I was just thinking, like, haven't I seen these types of things Keep it. elsewhere? It's great. But they're always in ridiculous situations. I don't know. It made me laugh. I just thought it was such a funny... <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was I'm glad. I thought it was a ridiculous thing to say to a person. 
And I think mostly I would not usually like it, but I started to just think halfway through the episode that Gordon was a cartoon character and I just went with it. And then I'm like, he uh, was he was entertaining through that lens, but it did feel like maybe was, I just need to stop resisting because I felt the same way. I'm like, you need to be stroking a white cat while you say this, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't feel like he belongs in this world at all. And um you know, I I think I could have gone. You mean the rough and tumble shoe business or the world of parenthood? <laughs> the world of parenthood. Okay. Yeah. Because I just thought, yeah, who who is this? What is this? But I did like the idea that he was basically insulting Adam. And I use sarcastic quote marks. But like just naming things about Adam's life that Adam likes. You know, he likes the convenience of a minivan, I bet. You know, it's most certainly a Nissan. Um, you know, and and he loves Christina. So to be like, and you've got you got Catherine, good job. You know, like, like you're not so lonely. I mean, Adam, I think, has absolutely never wished he were single and, and out there mingling or something. So I don't know. It, it just struck me as funny. I think I think I find it funny when people like insult other people, but in ways that they would never find insulting. Um, Maybe I just find it preposterous that a boss of a shoe company would be this obsessed with loyalty too. Like I need you devoted to this shoe company. (laughs) Fuck your family. You know, like like, (laughs) what is his family? So, I mean, he, I guess he says, I know I've missed a lot of time. I've taken a lot of time off or uh, Maybe there's just stuff we, I'm like, but we haven't seen that. Yeah, it's true. As far as we know, I don't think there is a work-life balance problem. I mean, in this episode, Hattie comes to his office and Sarah comes to his office and he's late because of a leak. So, I mean, they're doing their best to make that point in this episode. Yeah. But it does seem like a problem that has just been invented so that we could have this conflict. I'm trying to remember if any family members have visited before. I know first season Zeke did and Julia did. Julia yeah. and Christina after they found out about the affair. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it, uh, pretty much every family member has been there. But that, except Crosby. He probably doesn't know where any office is. <laughs> Although he went to Julia's. That's true. I do wonder, like, to what extent does that matter? Because... I do think that Gordon is being unreasonable as far as, you know, you got to understand that that your workers are like people, they're human beings. But then I think, well, what should you expect out of an employee? I don't know. I, I do think boundaries are important. We've talked about this and it might not be super professional, I guess, for the family to just drop by all the time. You know, it, it doesn't seem like it has to be an emergency for them to just pop by and be like, mom's driving me crazy about driving or, and I, I even thought that, you know, about the leak, as I said earlier, like what, what could he even do about it? You know, when, when Gordon says next time call a plumber, I thought, I don't like you, Gordon, but that might not be bad advice. <laughs> I did think, why has no one in the family thought of that? Yeah. yeah. It, is, it is the best advice they've gotten. But you raise a good point. But I would also say, like, is there ever an emergency at TNS? This is, they're not exactly, you know, doing triage there either. Well, sure. It's, yeah, someone can drop in because you work in an office. Yeah. And so you can pause for two minutes and listen to a family member and then go back to your work. I, don't, I guess I just reiterate, it seems to me like we haven't seen this be an mm-hmm. issue. So it does feel contrived. I do. I do remember that in the rubber band ball episode, we got Gordon's name. I think Zeke says it 
to Adam. And I didn't say anything then because we're spoiler free and I'm committed to it. But I took note. I was like, oh, hey, I always remembered just suddenly Billy Baldwin shows up and he's suddenly a character. And I'm like, that's kind of nice that they actually dropped that name several episodes ago. That made me feel better. I thought the same thing. Yeah, that's cool. And he says, it, I love it. It's Brill. Oh. Just wrote down, oh, God, who is this guy and how do we make him go away? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not supposed to like him, right? Like, we are supposed to find him smart. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't like him, but I did find his performance funny. And it was weird. Like, it was so Alec Baldwin-y, like, that it did, <laughs> it did make me laugh. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Like, I just thought he was just preposterous, but I kind of enjoyed that. But I don't want him to do anything real or stick around. I I just, yeah, if he were only in this episode, I'd be like, this is great. But he's going to return, isn't he? And I, I, I bet, yeah, I'll be sick of him real soon, I'm sure. What do you think of the shoe lowjack idea? All right, so I have to be honest, because I thought the storyline device, like, I thought it was so beautiful, Sarah saying things like, I need to value my ideas, and and maybe if I had a desk, you know, I'd have more ideas. I, I thought that was beautiful, and it made sense, like, if I make myself a priority. Having said that, I thought the idea was really stupid. <laughs> and I also thought, why does everyone think this is a great idea? But maybe it was all people with kids who thought it was a great idea, and, and maybe kids are losing their shoes all the time. But I'm like, wouldn't you lose the clicker? Like, if you lose the shoes... That was exactly what I thought. <laughs> I thought the idea itself made a certain amount of sense but yeah then yeah i just kept coming back to like but you would lose the clicker so you would lose everything yeah unless you want to like put it on a chain around your neck <laughs> oh, here's so i always know where my shoes are well and i also 24 7 this is my life alert you know like <laughs> well it <laughs> seems extreme <laughs> Well, and when Joel was complimenting her idea by saying, that's a great idea, I'd buy 12 of those for Sydney, I thought, you'd have to, because people don't just have one pair of shoes. So yeah. how do you keep track of 12 clickers? <laughs> to oh, like, good point. You know, unless you could somehow program one clicker for each pair of shoes. No, you'd you be digging through a pail of clickers, but <laughs> it's not this one. It's not <laughs> Oh, this one's beeping, but I'm holding these. Yeah. I mean, I was legit surprised the first time I saw this episode that Billy Baldwin loved the idea because I thought he was going to be like, don't come at me with this shit. (laughs) He loved it. It's great. It's fresh. It's brill. Hey, you know that idea you had about the shoe clicker thing? You sold it. We made a million dollars. No, not not exactly. But I did bring the idea up to my boss. And he fired you? Mm -mm. Well, he liked it, actually. No. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, we're going to maybe develop the idea. No, not really. Yeah, look, we develop a lot of ideas and a lot of them end up going nowhere, but... No, no, I know, but that's amazing. Oh, my God. So, uh, you know, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, listen, I got to go. I got to get back to the wife and kids, so I'll, I'll see you later. Well, hey, I mean, so... Uh, you know, good luck with it. Thanks. You know, I'm actually really happy about this because all through season one, I kept thinking, I like this show, but I wish there was more time devoted to shoes. <laughs> I've, I've never liked that that was Adam's job. I don't know why, but I always just thought it seemed so silly, kind of. And I just, I, I mean, and he's got to have a job and it makes sense that it's something he doesn't care about. But I've always just been like, I kind of wished it was just some like vague office thing and we never saw him at work. We just knew he resented it, but whatever. Yeah. 
And who would think working at a shoe company would be so soulless? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I did really love the storyline. I just thought it hinged on an idea that I didn't think was very good. And so I felt sort of crazy every time people were like, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard in my life. It's brill. And I just was like, is it? It, it seems silly. But I didn't kind I kind of didn't care because like Lauren Graham in that scene that you just played, it was just so like just uh, you know, last season we kept saying she's so insecure, she doesn't believe in herself. And we see that when she's joking, like, and your boss fired you, you know, and and she she does need a break sometimes. She needs to believe in herself and she needs other people to believe in her. And I kind of don't care what it is. I think that's wonderful. And the idea of like wanting a desk, that felt kind of symbolic more than anything, but it makes sense. Like if you take the time to sit somewhere and you're just gonna like devote part of your day to yourself and like, you know, maybe she'll write or something. I wasn't thinking she would just sit at the desk and go <laughs> like, just wait for ideas. Okay. New shoes ideas. <laughs> Hit me. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't. Why did I pluralize both words? <laughs> well, yeah. well, I loved, I agree with you that the storyline was a good idea. And I especially loved Zeke's encouragement of her and that he kind of called her on her habit. It's a million dollar idea. No, it isn't. It's not even an whole idea. I just was off the top of my oh, head. Oh, that's a game changer, Sarah. That's what that is. Dad, really? Yeah. No. Dad, you know what? They're not even going to use it or do anything no, with it. Don't answer. think like that. Sweetheart, you have a gift. I don't have a gift. I have a kid who can't find his shoes. Excuse me. Oh, honey, listen. Sweetheart, I love you, but you got to quit doing that. Doing what? But belittling yourself, sweetheart. It's, it's a defense mechanism. Zeke, come on. She hasn't even had her coffee yet. All I'm trying to do is just tell her she should value her ideas, Camille. Yes, I can hear that. And I'm trying to say that you should let Sarah and Adam manage their own lives. Yeah, but uh, all I'm trying to do is just instill a little bit of confidence. I hear you. And I see you, sweetheart. I think Zeke's encouragement of her is really beautiful. It's so touching. And it really feels like it's coming from a fatherly place. Yeah. But I'm so torn about then what happens with Camille because I think it's great that Zeke is on notice about his behavior. And at least judging from what we've seen in season one, I think it's clear that he has more work to do on himself yeah. than Camille does. Yeah. But whatever therapy they're in feels like Camille's almost like turning it into a weapon Oh. for her to just bring him to heal and get what she wants out of it. But maybe that's what needs to happen because he hasn't, he clearly hasn't prioritized her needs or feelings for a long time. You know, hearing you say that, I hadn't really considered it like the, the, but I, I get it. Like, yeah, especially in that scene, because I thought, why does it matter to you? That's true. That was really the only scene I ever felt that in. That's a good Yeah, point. well, it, it was weird. It was like she was using her power, for lack of a better word, to get Zeke to stop complimenting their daughter, who suffers from crippling self-esteem issues. Like, it just seemed yeah. like, I don't understand why. I totally got it at the beginning when she was like, please wait for Adam. And I thought, that makes sense. Because yeah. in the past, he didn't. And I wonder if this scene was like kind of maybe clunky on the writer's part or if it is what you just said, her almost ab abusing it a bit. Um, 
I will say, though, I do think that this is a good callback to, I think, like the second episode of the whole show where um, they're both, both Zeke and Camille are encouraging Sarah, but doing so in different ways. And Zeke is encouraging her by saying, like, apply for like these crazy to hard, hard to get jobs, you know, sky's the limit, believe in yourself. And Camille is, is supporting her by saying, it's okay if you work at the bar. And so it does feel, I guess, fitting where she's like, maybe leave her alone. She's maybe embarrassed, you know, maybe she's interpreting that differently. But I just, yeah, I don't know. That whole scene was a little, a little strange. I will say though, I, I really liked that right after Camille left, I loved that Sarah acknowledged the strides that Zeke was making Mm -hmm. and that she said, very impressive. Good job. I thought that was so sweet. Yeah. I think she's right. And I think my guess is with a guy like Zeke, if he doesn't get that kind of <laughs> attention or validation for doing, you know, maybe the bare minimum, <laughs> he might stop doing it. Yeah. And so I, I, I liked that she took note of it and said, you're doing good. I'm proud of you. She didn't say I'm proud of you, but very impressive. Yeah. I'm actually just thrilled that they're in therapy. And I had remembered that when we were discussing the finale, but again, no spoilers. So I just really wanted to say in that last episode, how much I hoped that it wasn't just going to be a grand gesture and we're done because I really do feel like that would have been such a disservice. So I love that where it picks up, they're in therapy. They should be. Yeah. It's a longer, bumpier road to resolution. Yeah. than a charming And this is even three months later. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine what it's been like before this. Yeah. Well, now that we're talking about it, I wonder if Camille's like standing up to Zeke a little bit and being forceful like that. Maybe it's not a weapon. Maybe that's what the therapist has told her to do. Like, yeah, that's her homework. Yeah, don't let him walk Good all point. over you. Make him notice you. Yeah. You know, like instead of the like vomit story mm-hmm. where she was feeling terrible that whole time and didn't tell anybody. Yeah. And didn't tell anyone for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say this, she ends it with, I'll be in my studio. And I I don't mean to just keep giving anecdotes of of Mark's reactions, but I I am excited for him to be a guest someday because his reactions are so great. He just said, ah, then she drops that, the studio. And he knows that she slept with the art teacher just to twist the (laughs) knife. (laughs) You know, and just, I I do think that's kind of interesting because yeah, art does equal like her independence kind of like even, even if she hadn't slept with the teacher, but it's like, now that I've gotten what I want from you, off I go to my independent sexy place upstairs in the studio. (laughs) Zeke wanders up there one day and all the paintings are of Matthew. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't progressed at all. No. Uh, What was your take on the Sarah Adam confrontation. It was my idea, and I feel like you just kind of took it. I, I, Sarah, look, you know, you said that to me in an offhand way that morning. Mm-hmm. It's not like we sat down and had an official pitch meeting. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know we had to have an official meeting. Maybe we should take it to the people's court or, you know, call Judge Judy. You know, I, Sarah, I, I'm, seriously, I didn't know we had to have a meeting. Okay, Adam, I had an idea, and I feel like if I don't start to value my ideas, I'm going to disappear. Let me be part of it. God, Sarah, I've done like a million things for you over the years, and I've never asked for more than a thank you. Well, I'm asking for more. I have an opinion, but I feel like I could totally see the other side. Like I could even see where I'm just reacting emotionally. 
Because I think Adam is being quite logical. You know, like he's the one who works at the shoe company. She's not, at least not until the last five seconds of the episode. And um, I think maybe logically there was nothing wrong with him taking an idea that her sister said and and that, that his sister said and like having it help him at work. And I think he even makes a good point about how he helps her all the time and has never asked for anything but a thank you. But I was on Sarah's side and I'm trying to even understand why, but I think it was because (laughs) I'm not even religious, but like, you know, those stories of how like people who have no money and they give a dollar to church are giving everything they have versus a millionaire who gives a thousand dollars and he could easily spare it. I think I was feeling like that, where it's like, well, Adam, you don't need anything other than a thank you. You've got your shit entirely together. Sarah doesn't. This was like one of the first times anyone has ever taken her seriously. And you did just kind of take it. And I almost thought it was like kind of gaslighting and mean for him to say, I've only ever asked you for a thank you. And she had to really, I think, screw up courage to say, okay, but I'm asking for more. And so... I don't know. I just really thought she was she was the one I was identifying with for some reason. Um, but I, what do you think? Did you what did you have a take? I was conflicted. I think my biggest takeaway is something that I feel like maybe is going to be a trend on parenthood, which is I think characters escalate things <laughs> unnecessarily quickly. Yeah. Because when I watched the episode a second time, because at first I thought like, yeah, he did just kind of take the idea. That's not great, is it? But like we just heard when he says, I told Gordon about it, her first reaction was, and you sold it? It was that her expectation was, yeah, you'll tell your boss and then you guys make money off the idea. That's what would happen. I mean, she's joking because she says a million dollars. Right. But to me, it seemed like, yeah, what did she think he was going to do? And and didn't she even say early on, like, you should pitch that to your boss? I think she did. This is exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. She just didn't think it was going to happen. And if she discovers that she actually feels a little more possessive of that idea than she thought she did, have that conversation. Don't jump right to, you stole my idea. (laughs) And now you're going to make money off of it when I should have gone to my shoe company where I've worked for 12 years and pitched it to my boss. It's like, like you just said, he's the one who works at a shoe company. Yeah. So it just it just seemed like, why did you go so far so fast? But on the other hand, I felt like he was really dismissive. The fact that his first reaction was, look, you said that to me in an offhanded manner. That felt like lawyerly to me of like, oh, well, this will never hold up because it wasn't real. You're her brother. Like, listen to what she's saying and respond in kind. It felt like he was all business at that point. And it's like, this is not someone in your business. This is your family. Have a heart. And even though I feel like I could, if I thought about it, come up with a million examples where I wouldn't think this was true, I liked how she just owned, I'm asking you for more. Yeah. Maybe what you're doing is charitable, but I'm not interested in charity right now. Because I feel like that happens sometimes where like, if someone sort of overlooks a rule when they don't have to, and then they expect everyone to do that too. Well, no, I don't want to overlook it. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you did good for you. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Nor should I be expected to. So I liked that she, and then I liked that she didn't try and rationalize it or justify it any more than that. 
Well, and I feel like in a way she's just following Adam's advice from several episodes ago where he was basically telling her to stand up for herself and to, you know, fight for her life and, and stop being so passive and thinking like everything's her fault. And so I think maybe that was part of what appealed about it to me. It felt like new season, new start for Sarah, but in a way that felt very real, you know, like this is the kind of start she would take. And I don't know what she was expecting. I don't think she was expecting him to offer her a job. You know, I, I think that really did take her aback, but I think maybe, maybe it was just as small as, when you pitch the idea in the first place, say, my sister actually had this really great idea. Because then it did feel ridiculous for him to go to Gordon and say, I agree. Actually, it was my sister. What's this about? Yeah, Gordon, when, when Gordon's like, how do I put this? I don't give a rat's ass. I was like, yeah, that was my, that was when I liked him the most in the <laughs> yeah. episode. That and call a plumber. Yeah, I'm like, these are good points. Yeah, Gordon's right about that. Um, and so, yeah, I don't even think that's what she necessarily meant. Like, just initially, you know, let me be part of it, you know, and, and I don't know if she was, well, now I'm not sure. Now I'm second guessing it. Like, was she actually saying, let me be part of it now, or just don't do that again? You know, I guess she said, I'm asking for more. So I guess she was wanting somehow to be a part of it. I'm not sure how she thought that was going to go down. I guess I just, yeah, I agree. Cause I, cause I also don't think she was looking for a job. Yeah. Huh. I think she just wanted validation. And I, I think yeah, I really didn't like him saying that wasn't an official pitch meeting. And I liked how she handled that. <laughs> well, on to the last story, which is Hattie learning how to drive. Oh, my God. This one little exchange right at the top really made me laugh. This is our fourth lesson. Are we going to get on the road ever? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think this episode was the funniest Christina has ever been. I was just crying. I mean, she was so obviously wrong. And it was kind of a fun parenthood twist where I think usually I'll think somebody is wrong, but I don't know if the show wants me to think that. Like, you know, I just have an opinion. But in this case, everyone was supposed to think Christina was wrong. (laughs) And that's part of what made it so great. I did notice in, uh, there was a review on Entertainment Weekly of this season premiere and Ken Tucker for entertainment weekly said the best acting of the night was done by Sarah Ramos as Hattie and now 16 and learning to drive sorta courtesy of her high strung mom, Christina Monica Potter, once again, bravely tackling an unsympathetic role and making it compelling. And it's strange. Maybe she made it so compelling that it didn't even really occur to me that it was unsympathetic until I read it. Hmm. And I thought, yeah, And as you just said, everyone in this story thinks she's being irrational. Yeah. And I think we're all supposed to think that. And yet I never judged her too harshly. I felt real bad for Hattie. Yeah. I thought Hattie's (laughs) impression of her was (laughs) hysterical. It's perfect. And yet I, maybe just because of the goodwill she had built up already, or I don't know what, I was always sort of like, yeah, I get it. Christina's, Christina's clearly dealing with something. Yeah. I did love in that scene with Hattie, this little exchange. Dad, do you guys have like some stupid agreement about not acknowledging each other's flaws? Yeah, it's called marriage. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good sitcom joke. (laughs) It was, yeah. Actually, now that you mentioned sitcom, this episode really reminded me of the, the movie, like humor wise. I was really taken aback by how funny this episode was. Um, And maybe it was just 
the last, like the finale and the the episodes before that were very dark and heavy. And this really did feel like a bit of a reset, you know, like the idea that, well, we've put some of those storylines to bed and now we're starting a new season, new haircuts, (laughs) new (laughs) new sponsor, and and maybe a, a little bit of a lightness, you know, to try to, again, maybe attract new viewers. I don't know. But I was really taken aback by how funny it was and and christina was just a huge part of that now i have a question for you married friend (laughs) hey christina what i love you and i appreciate everything you do for our children okay spit it out what what do you want to say is it possible that you're being a little irrational with hattie i'm being irrational i'm being irrational i didn't say she just crashed the car i'm just saying this is a big step a huge step our daughter okay. is learning how to drive. Absolutely. It's symbolic, and maybe it's not easy for you. To... I am not being irrational, Adam, okay? You weren't there. I was. Our daughter sucks at driving. That's the problem, so butt out. Okay. <laughs> that was my favorite Christina moment in the whole episode, first of all. <laughs> Our daughter sucks at driving. That's the problem. <laughs> okay. But you were saying... Oh, my question is, how do you approach criticizing a partner without (sighs) attacking them or, you know, without putting them on the spot in that way? Yeah, I I think... I think Adam does a really good job of that, actually. You know, like like starting with something positive the way he does. And it's not... I mean, it's sincere. You know, he he really does feel that way. He is grateful to her. Um, So I think... I think it can help to contextualize what you're about to say, you know, by, by giving the bigger picture. But of course, she's like really, she's pissed off. And so she, she's like, spit it out. I feel like she might usually appreciate him saying, you know, starting that way, but she's too elevated to, to appreciate that. But yeah, I, I think it's really hard. I got to admit, I don't think I'm very good at it. Um, probably something that I really need to work on is um, being able to criticize, you know, and, and really I'm married to someone so terrific but of course he's not perfect. And so I think he even sometimes I think wants me to criticize him a little bit more, like, like hold me more accountable. Tell me what you want, you know, because sometimes I can just, I hate conflict so much and I can be real passive. And so I think sometimes I just don't criticize him. And, and I let the fact that I don't often have much critical to say, make that okay. But it's, it's probably not, you know, it's, it's healthier to be able to have conversations. And I will say Mark is very good at, um, criticizing me. (laughs) That sounds funny. (laughs) But, But what I mean by that is he does it in a very kind, constructive manner. And it's not all the time. He lets a lot go and I let a lot go. But when something really shouldn't be let go, he will say something and he does so in a way that's very respectful. For my part, I've gotten a lot better at taking criticism the longer he and I have been together. When we were first together, it was very hard for me to take any criticism, no matter how kindly he would say it. Because I think I was carrying a lot of baggage, as most people do. But, um, you know, I just, I never really thought anyone would love me forever, <laughs> which sounds terrible. But I just had poor self-esteem like Sarah. And and so I think, much like Sarah, if if Mark would give me the smallest bit of, of criticism, I blew that up in my mind and, and really took it to a dark place and made him not want to say anything ever, you know? And so we've been together, um, 17 years now and 
It's a really long time. I think we've gotten much healthier in, in communication. But it is interesting to see couples on this show like who've been together a while and to see where they where they go right and where they go wrong. I think it might be part of what really um, struck me about Joel's reaction to to Julia saying that they should have another kid because I could see myself presented with something major like that where you really should say something and just not saying something. And that's one of my least favorite things about myself. I need to get better at that. So anyway, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's something I think about. It does. I, it's sort of like Hattie says, marriage is an agreement to overlook each other's flaws. And not overlook, but that if you can't accept them and move on from them, you're probably not going to have a functioning relationship because there's just going to be so many. You just wouldn't have time if you stopped and had a conversation about everyone. But then like you said, you have to help each other grow. Yeah. Otherwise, why are you even together? Yeah. I would think that finding the balance would be so hard. What do you let slip and what do you not? I've been around couples before who nitpick each other and it's awful. I would never want to be in that type of relationship where like, you just feel like you can't do anything without a comment being made. And I think that's really destructive. But I also think going too far the other way is destructive too. You know, just just being too, you know, unwilling to have a conflict. Sometimes conflict is necessary, even though it's hard. And so I think I think Adam and Christina are usually very good at that. And I mean, I think it's realistic to imagine that that Christina's in her feelings about Hattie driving and getting older and all of that. So it's funny, but I love that it goes, uh, you know, to a really real place at the end. But I think that usually they communicate very well, perhaps better than anyone else on the show, actually. I think that, you know, episodes ago when, you know, Christina tells Adam to take a break, you know, I just I feel like they're usually very good at telling each other what they want and and where they might be going wrong. (laughs) But Christina's just extra defensive in this episode for many reasons. Like I said earlier, a theme of this episode to me seemed to be all about communication. Mm -hmm. How do you communicate more effectively, more clearly? And one thing I know I've heard, certainly from my own psychologist father, and then just in like culture at large is using I messages rather than (laughs) you messages, which I sometimes feel is so hard to do because when the problem really is someone else, then I feel like the message becomes, I feel attacked when you behave this way. (laughs) You're just, you're just dressing up a you message in I clothing. I feel you're an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. But I felt like when Hattie and Christina have their beautiful conversation at the end, she did a really bang up job at communicating clearly. I do have to say to you, and I don't mean this as an insult, but I feel like you were being a little bit irrational. I was? Yeah. I'm a little upsetting. bit. You know? Mm-hmm. A little out of the ordinary. It's about catastrophization. Oh, okay. Catastrophization. It's not a word. It's not a real word, but it's one that your dad made up for me because I sometimes catastrophize things. You know, I look into the future and I see the worst. You driving this car and you getting in a horrible, awful car accident and me having to go down to the scene and seeing your body and smell the carnage and I can what? see the Mom. people just swarming around. Stop! I just, my, Stop! My brain, Stop. I just, I know, I'm sorry. I, 
It's not gonna happen. I know. I just love you way too much. And I don't know what I would do. Okay. And then I think about Max. And who's gonna take care of him when we're not around? Mom, I will. Honey, I would never do that to you. I would never put that burden on you to take care of your brother. I just, I wouldn't. It's not a burden. I love Max. He's my brother. You know that. I included that final take a bow because it felt to me like the singer was singing to Christina be like take a bow look at this child you raised (laughs) who is like such a model human just so beautiful what she said first things first I hate to burst Christina's bubble but Adam didn't invent catastrophize it is a real word it is According to dictionary.com, it was first used between 1960 and 1965. So it's it's a recent word, but it's a very common cognitive distortion in cognitive behavioral therapy. It's unclear thinking. And one of the things that people do that they learn to check themselves on is, oh, I'm catastrophizing. I'm going 10 steps down the road to the worst possible outcome instead of making a more rational assessment of what we're dealing with here. I have that, I think. I'm doing that about going back to work, like teaching in person as opposed to online, as I've been doing. I'm probably going to be fine. Probably my students will be fine. But I I keep imagining the worst. And it's very hard for me to pull myself back from that. Uh, So I mean, not to make it about me, but I think... I think it can be a very real <laughs> impulse. Yeah. yeah. Although I, I actually, going off of that, I felt like such a, it's such a nitpick. But when Christina is explaining that worst case scenario and Hattie just says that's not going to happen and Christina says, I know, I thought it probably won't happen. Like the fact that they both said that's not going to happen and then I know, it's like car accidents do happen kind of a lot. I mean, I, yeah, it is a scary thing for your kid to start driving. Yeah. They probably will be fine. And I probably will be fine going back to work. But when people tell me you'll be fine or like you're overreacting or like other people have gone back to work, I feel kind of gaslighted and upset. Actually, I don't feel comforted when people tell me that's not going to happen. I feel invalidated, which I know that might sound weird, but I think it's interesting that Christina just says, I know, because I would think a more honest emotion from Christina at that point is to say, probably won't, but you don't know that for sure. You can't tell me it won't happen. I was kind of surprised that she just said, I know. Um, Anyway, I know that's a small thing, but I did think that was No, I agree. And that stuff, I almost, it does bother me on almost just like a semantic level. Yeah. For all the reasons you said. Okay, yeah, we can, we cannot let the slimmest chance outcome dictate our entire behavior. Right. But- Let's acknowledge that it is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've had several students die in, in my career of, gosh, how long have I been teaching? 15 years? I, I, could, I could name seven students who have died in car accidents. That's a very small number out of the thousands of students I've had, but I can, I can think of about seven. And so, I, yeah, just saying it, it is a slim chance, but I think And maybe, I'm sure it's of no comfort to those yeah 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 it's funny i meant to ask you if you had any memorable learning to drive stories and and what i just said makes me think of 
not a specific memory, but I remember when I was learning to drive, driving around with my dad, and I think I was turning like onto a one-way street or something, and I just looked in the direction that traffic would be coming mm. from. Did I say this in a podcast already? You've said it to me, but I can't remember if you said it in a podcast. Oh, I may be repeating myself, but he said, look both ways, even though no one should be coming from the other direction, because if you get hit, you're not going to feel any better knowing that, well, I looked the way I was supposed to look. And I do remember thinking, I'd feel a little better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But his point was a good one. Yeah. No, I I don't know that any of my experiences are that interesting, but I do remember taking driver's ed. And I remember, I do remember I was a little obnoxious, I think, to my mom while I was taking driver's ed because I would like kind of nitpick her driving a little bit. And she was like, I've been driving forever. And I was like, yeah, and you might get rusty on the rules. I am fresh in this class and I know exactly what to do. I think she was like, all right. (laughs) So, you know, I do remember that, that I was a little bit obnoxious, I think. One other thing I wanted to comment on from Hattie's speech. I think it's incredible that at the end she says taking care of Max wouldn't be a burden, that she loves him. But I also thought it was a little naive Uh And coming from a place of someone who doesn't know all that that entails, as someone with a family member who requires an extreme amount of care, the person is not a burden, but the care that they require, it is a burden. And it's obviously not the person's fault. It's a burden for them, too. I mean, perhaps more than anyone. Yeah. But... I don't know. It's not that I wish Hattie had said, thanks, mom. You're right. That would be a burden. (laughs) That's not good. But it is just something, you know, we all bring our own experiences to things. And I bring that experience. And I've, I've never been the person responsible for taking care of my mom. But when I saw that, I thought, you don't know yet, Hattie. You don't know until you're in that situation what it takes. And it takes a lot. I wonder if that if you had any reaction similar to that, because you also had a parent yeah, who required a lot of care. That's true. It was incredibly hard, you know, um, it was for me, and for me, it was a lot less time than, than your family. Cause my dad had his two major strokes when I was six and then died when I was 16. So it was a 10 year period of, of severe like care. And yeah, like this, it's interesting that we're talking about this in this episode that's about communicating because, you know, I stopped being very close to my dad because we couldn't talk to each other. We would spend, yeah, I may have said this before, but we would spend like 20 minutes trying to figure out what he wanted for breakfast. You know, I remember yogurt one time. He tried to say yogurt and I had no idea what he was talking about. And that was because his strokes impaired his speech so much yeah yeah well and uh, i don't he had a tracheotomy I've... as well didn't he yeah when i was four so i don't remember what his voice sounds like he had a, or a laryngectomy la- laryngectomy is what it was oh, wow. um from smoking heavily and so he couldn't speak because of that but he could whisper and then it was the strokes that really made him unable to even do that so like yeah the laryngectomy is technically what took his voice box but but the strokes took his ability to like kind of form sentences, you know? Um, Mm. And so he would just kind of, everything was a little bit muddled. And 
that was really hard. But then, of course, he also walked with a cane. Half of his bo- his right side was was paralyzed. So yeah, I mean, he required, and of course, and he couldn't work. You know, and and it was hard. I mean, he was he was this man with like a PhD. He was brilliant, and he was kind of trapped in his body. Yeah, I think I think it would have been really hard if if I had been you know at some point asked to take care of him, and I might have naively said that it wouldn't have been a burden. Although, just something interesting that you just said, like that Hattie doesn't know, but she does live in the same house. Like, I feel like I would have had a sense of how difficult it would have been to take care of my dad just because I was living with my dad. And, you know, she is living with Max. I kind of wondered if her reaction wasn't a little bit guilt-induced because, as we keep saying, Hattie is so great, and she is. She's a wonder, really. But she did have that line. She kind of slipped you know, where Max was like pushing her to her absolute limit. And she said to him, are you an idiot? And I wonder if like that. she hit him yeah, with the ball. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, and I, I kind of get it, honestly. Like they really, the show I think did a very good job of like escalating that to where you could tell that she was like, oh my God, he has to go. He's not going. He's not listening to me. And she kind of blew up. And then I wondered, like, if she just maybe in some way deep down felt guilty about that moment and her mom's talking about someday, you know, if we're gone and, you know, her saying, I would, I, I would take care of him. I love him, you know, like if, and, and, you know, she also like had that sweet um, sleepover, which was the most perfect ending to that storyline. I loved that. I actually hadn't remembered that. I thought it was going to pan up and it was going to be Crosby up there because, you know, Jabbar <laughs> couldn't go and they were both lonely and missing Jabbar. But I loved that it was her. And even when he was like, we should do this every night. I think most siblings, most of the time would be like, yeah, don't push your luck or that's not going to happen. But she was like, that would be amazing. I don't think she really thinks that, but I think maybe she feels so guilty about saying, are you an idiot and pushing him away? So I wondered if that was infiltrating every reaction she had about Max for the rest of the episode. It made me, the sleepover made me think of my sister because Jay, my oldest sister left for college. And then there was one year where it was just me and Lindsay, my other sister at home. And we would have sleepovers. Oh, Um, certainly not every night, but I mean, probably at least once a month. Really? We would sleep in the living room. And our usual thing was we would watch Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. (laughs) And she would fall asleep after like 10 minutes. And I would watch the whole movie. And But it was so much fun. And, you know, I don't know why this senior in high school was spending time with an eighth grader other than she's just one of the best people ever. But it meant the world to me. And uh, those are some of my favorite memories, especially with her, but just some of my favorite memories, period, that I've ever had. Wow. And I wrote down also, Hattie is such a good sister. Yeah. Because it wasn't just the sleepover, which is awesome. But after Max had his big meltdown, she came in and was trying to do her part. And, you know, Gabby was there. That's Gabby's job. Yeah. But Hattie was trying here. Let's let's go have some extra screen time. And then Gabby corrects her. And you know that Hattie's going to do whatever Gabby says. Yeah. And it's just oh, she's just great. And I like you, I actually loved that there was that scene earlier where they were squabbling and she kind of lost her cool. That felt really believable to me as just what siblings do. Yeah. 
And it occurred to me watching it that that might be a really valuable lesson that having siblings teaches you, Mm. which is just that you can have arguments with people and even mistreat them. But if you've built a relationship and you know where each other is truly coming from, you can forgive and just move on. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to do that with people you don't know very well. But siblings, you build up a trust and you build up. And I wonder if that's how you maybe learn, you know, like when you have a spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we let things go and sometimes <laughs> we have to call each other on our behavior. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And again, Max was so great in this episode. The the, I mean, I know it was Gabby's idea to put pictures of New York around the top bunk. But when he said he was going to do that. I just felt my heart melt. I'm like, God, that's so sweet. I just, I loved that. And it was really sweet. Like, and it felt like it was motivated by more than the sticker, which felt like huge growth, you know? Like, I think in the past, like when he first met Gabby and and played, was it two square, you know, or four square or whatever, <laughs> with that little girl, I feel like that was mostly motivated by that extrinsic motivation. And and now it really felt like he was kind of heartbroken not to get to eat food in his room with Jabbar, you know, and, and have a friend. And I thought, well, that seems like such a, a major thing. That seems like a big deal. And he had so many moments that were so funny. Like when Hattie comes back from crashing the car and she's going to tell them what happened. And she says, you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. And the look on Max's face is like he's ready for a show. Like, okay, (laughs) great. Tell me. I can't wait to hear this. And then him talking to Miles. Oh, my God. She wants to kill me. And then even at the end, how it goes from something so sincere, like, I can't believe I'm drinking soda in my bed. (laughs) And then he switches to. Hey, do you think if this bed caved in, I'd die? <laughs> it just seems like <laughs> such what a however year old boy he is would say. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I love that she takes it totally in stride. Yeah, she is really incredible. She is the best. If I have one complaint about this episode, I'm not realizing we get so much good Hattie stuff. But I got spoiled on the good Amber stuff last episode. And I'm like, she gets like one scene where she's like, I have cramps. I can't find my shoes and her hair is red. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, and that Drew, was Amber. That's all, yeah, they get. that's all they get. They'll get more. I know the nature of this huge cast. Sometimes you just not not every moment is a shining moment for everyone. But I was like, oh, oh OK. Yeah. Right. And Jabbar is in the credits now, but we only see him through Skype. Yeah, but I do really love the moment where Crosby's like, they outlawed it. They outlawed pizza. And Jabbar is usually so quick with him, but like you could see him like really working through this. Like what? (laughs) They have outlawed pizza. (laughs) It was so cute. Um, And I mean, I was like the most gullible little child in the whole world. So I really I felt Jabbar in that moment. (laughs) I would have fallen for that. Yeah. Well, I've said this several times, but I felt like striving for clearer communication was the theme of this episode, obviously between Zeke and Camille, but also between Zeke and Joel and between Sarah and Adam, between Hattie and Christina and between Crosby and Jasmine. Though with them, it was it was really only literal, Yeah, you know, with the Skype connection. I think they're actually communicating pretty well. Yeah. And even in their way, like Julia and Sydney, she's trying mm-hmm. to figure out how do I best communicate with her. I thought it was a shame that Julia didn't have more to do for the season premiere. Yeah. But what can you do? 
And I'm glad that Joel had something to do. Yeah, that was cool. I will say, I don't think Julia has ever been more beautiful. That opening scene where she has like that dress that's like just this classic black number. I was like, she is stunning. Why is she just on the playground? Like she should be. Yeah, I guess she's like off of work. I get it. But like I wrote down Julia looking dead sexy as ever. (laughs) Yeah. But I didn't say it earlier because we just had that whole conversation about (laughs) Gabby. And it's like, that's not nice. But I agree. She's she's gorgeous. Yeah, I think that was the prettiest I'd ever thought she was. I, like, to the point where I was like, I've got to mention it. She's just stunning. Like, we got to say something. So, but of course, it is crazy attractive cast. It's just bonkers. Yeah. So. All that being said, I I thought the episode was only okay. Really? Like, I really enjoyed this the discussion about it, and I didn't think it was a bad episode, but. It just, I guess it just felt like it was setting lots of big stuff up. Mm, like, oh, yeah. hey, everyone, there's going to be trouble at Adam's work. Or, hey, Sarah's going to be working there now. Hey, Joel and Julia might have a baby. Sarah's getting a desk, you know. But <laughs> it felt like I was trying to do a lot. But maybe it's just because I don't, I don't love the idea of a deeper dive at Adam's work. That's true. I don't, I don't... I don't like Crosby and Jasmine being apart. I don't like Sarah's hair. and it might just be that in comparison to the like catharsis of season one yeah like you said it does feel a little bit like a reset yeah like oh can't we just keep going but they did kind of tie up all the stories yeah except for you know zeke and camille and that they're continuing really well it's funny that i i I thought you know we've been watching weekly not binging the show yeah but one thing that we can't recreate is waiting a whole summer in between seasons. We yeah. could recreate it. We're just and not making our to. listeners wait. We're like, you've been enjoying Parenthood yeah. Pals. Come back in three months. That would, <laughs> right. that would not be a good business model for us. All yeah. our momentum gone. <laughs> so if I had had three months before I saw this, I might have just been so happy to see them all again. Yeah. That I wouldn't have felt like, why are we starting over? Yeah. So because we have to start over. Well, and that's true. I was talking about like getting new viewers, but the way TV used to work, you had to sort of refresh the current viewers' memories. It had been three months since we'd seen it. So we had to like kind of be reintroduced to everybody. And and that just is a different thing now. That's so interesting. I never really thought about that. What did you think of the episode overall? I think I really liked it. I'm so easy to please, though. I feel like I, I just... If I love something, I'm in, usually. I didn't like the Gilmore Girls revival, but my expectations were too high. My expectations were not so high for this season two premiere that I'd already seen, you know? I was (laughs) like, it's fine. Yeah, you know, to the point where I'm like, wow, I really had mostly positive things to say about Gordon. That feels weird. I do remember not liking Gordon. So I'm sure that that will... I'll be like, okay, you've outstayed your welcome. You're no longer funny and vaguely Alec Baldwin-y in your Billy Baldwin-ness. Um... And I don't know, I did just really like all this stuff with Sarah, like trying to believe in herself. I thought that was lovely. But uh, yeah, you make some good points about it's just setting a lot of things up. And I really, yeah, you're totally right about I could not care less about Adam's job. I've always felt that way. I don't really want Sarah to now be at the job. Now we're going to get lots of scenes at the job. Oh, who cares? Um, So that is true. And with, with Jasmine and Crosby, it is, you're right, it's hard that they're apart. So not every aspect of what's being set up is pleasant. But I am excited to see Joel and Julia talk about having a second kid because I think 
I think that's way more interesting than they just yeah. get pregnant or like they both just want one. You know, I think it's sort of interesting that it's hinting at maybe some friction. Well, it's certainly exciting to see where it's all going to go. Yeah. And like we said, I still, my memory is not good enough to know specifically where it actually is going. I remember yeah. big things, but you know, what happens in the next episode? No idea. No idea. Let's find out <laughs> next next week on Parenthood Pals. <laughs> please anyway. come back. <laughs> please. Um, but yeah, that's probably a good time for me to say that you can follow us. <laughs> on uh, Facebook and, um, well, no, you can't. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Sometimes when I talk about social media, I feel like Christina in that episode where she <laughs> doesn't know about twits or, you know, anyway. But, um, and please do, if you like us, tell us, give us a, a rating or a review. You can also find us at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Ah. Well, until next time. May God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.